What's up, y'all? Pastor Corey here. I wasn't going to record an introduction, but I feel like you all need to be prepared for the amazing word that you're about to get. This is a conversation with a good friend of mine. His name is Nolan Wood, pastors of church alongside his wife called Life Church of Athens. It's in Athens, Georgia. This man has an amazing testimony. He and I met probably 2009, 2010 at an FCA camp. FCA is a huge part of both his and my testimony, uh, part of our lives. Um, this man's story and the word that he shares while he and I were talking, so powerful. And the conversation is just so real. You all just need to be prepared for an amazing, amazing conversation that I have with a good friend of mine, Nolan Wood. What's up, everybody? Another episode here of the Encountering God podcast with Pastor Corey. I'm going to jump right into it today. I got somebody who I really look up to in the ministry, somebody that I've served with at some camps in, in my past. Uh, he is he's the pastor of a church called Life Church in Athens. I believe he's been pastoring there since 2017. Uh, he got his undergrad from Georgia, got his master's of divinity. This dude is super smart. I'm going to call him a theologian today because he's working on his doctorate. Um, but his name is Nolan Wood. He's a good friend of mine. We don't talk very often, but I consider him a friend. I consider him a mentor. Um, He's just going to share a little bit of his story because I believe, like I've told you guys in the past, I believe that people's stories uh, really help you to encounter Jesus. And I know that Nolan has, a, has an amazing story, an amazing testimony, and an amazing ministry. Uh, he serves, again, as the lead pastor of Life Church alongside his wife, Ashley, and uh, they have two kids. So I'm going to let Nolan have the floor. You guys will hear a little bit of my voice, but for the most part, I'm going to let this man tell his story. Nolan, let's get after it, man. Yeah, man. Listen, I appreciate the opportunity to jump on with you. It has been a while, but here we are several kids later. Yeah. Um, and I actually had three kids. McKenna's 13 and uh, Spencer's five and Nash is, is three. Um, and so, yeah, man, it's uh, life is crazy, but it's great. Um, it's, it's um, yeah, it's, it's, it's good stuff, man. But I'm honored to, to be a part of this for sure. So, yeah. So I'll just kind of jump into um to my story and just how the Lord has really transformed my life. Uh, so I grew up in a home where my father was a pastor and um, came from a long line of pastors. And I like to contextualize that because um, just so you know what I'm talking about, like my dad was a pastor, his dad and his dad were pastors, my mom's dad and his dad. I got eight uncles and four cousins that are pastors. So when I was born, they probably looked at me and said, that looks like a pastor, you know? <laughs> um, so I don't know that I had much of a choice, man, when it came to ministry um, and just a life of, of dedicating it to the Lord in terms of vocational ministry. But that's, uh, that's like, that's, that's a part of my story too. And we'll get to that in just a second. But, but my dad was, uh, not only was he a pastor, but he was a coach as well. So I, I grew up in the arena of sports and the gospel. And, um, and so he coached for, gosh, 30-something years, um, multiple state championships and multiple sports, well-known in the community, and, um, and my mom being solid as well. And so uh, we, were, we were very 
we were very sheltered, but I said that it was a good thing because a shelter can do uh, two things. It can protect you from things from the outside. It can keep things from coming in and keep you from going out. And so for us, the sheltering was was a healthy thing because my parents taught me to love Jesus for myself. Sure. And and that's one thing that I see with a lot of kids that grow up as PKs is they're, it's kind of hammered. And, and even um, I was talking to my dad the other day. He was on a call with a group of pastors. And, and several of the pastors were like, yeah, I don't have a relationship with my son. Uh, either my son's in jail or he doesn't love Jesus. And, and he basically told them, you disconnected the ministry from the home. Uh, you preached in the church. We didn't preach your kids. And so I knew that's something that I never wanted to do. And I had great models in my parents. But they said, you got to love Jesus for yourself. I mean, right. you, you have to. This is not uh, salvation by proxy. You don't get it just because you're around it. Uh, Christ has to do a work in your heart. And he did. He did a work in my heart at an early age um, through, a, through a camp, through an FCA camp. Man, those things are, are powerful. They're great environments when the gospel is preached. And the Lord opened my eyes when I was 12 um, to the truth of the gospel and how I needed to be saved. Um, and, and it was at that moment where my life was transformed. And I fully did understand what it meant to surrender to Jesus. And so um, from there, grew up in a small town, uh, graduated with like 60 people in high school. So everybody knew everybody. And um, my nickname was Rev in high school. I don't know if y'all seen the movie, Remember the Titans, but the, the, the quarterback in that movie was named Rev. And so uh, I wasn't a quarterback. I was a receiver and a, and a DB. But anyway, they called me Rev in high school. And so from there, um, I ended up going to UGA, Go Dogs. And uh, so I go from graduating with 60 people to an incoming freshman class of 5,000 people. Uh, talk about a change, <laughs> big time change. And so now nobody knows who I am. I have zero accountability. Uh, mom and dad aren't there, you know, drive me to church every week. And in that moment of my freshman year is where I really began to uh, put the car in neutral, so to speak, spiritually but a car neutral will drift. And, and I found myself drifting slightly. I wasn't wilding out or anything. I wasn't, you know, out having sex or getting wasted or anything like that. But for me, it was complacency. And, and so it was my sophomore year that I got connected with a ministry called uh, Team United at Georgia. And, uh, and it was for athletes. And so I actually went through the process of walking on football at Georgia but didn't work out for me because I knew I wasn't going to be starting <laughs> as a whole lot of work <laughs> for nothing in return. And so I chose to stick with academics at Georgia, but I was able to get connected to Team United and got discipled, starting out by a guy named Scott Shepard. And then another guy came named Thomas Settles, who's still at Georgia as a football team chaplain. And he began to pour into my life. And, and that's when I begin to see a healthy model of discipleship. Like we all need somebody to walk with us. Um, and even if you're listening here tonight and, and you're, you're, you're on an island, you're by yourself, and maybe you convinced yourself that you can be by yourself. That's a lie of the enemy. Like you cannot walk alone in this thing. You can't. Uh, you'll get picked off. So, so thank God for, for that. I, I was rooming with a lot of Christian guys, was involved in FCA camps over the summers and was working at Corey and, and just um, that really began to impact my life tremendously. But one of the problems that I had through all of that time, even with FCA camps, I had a problem with transparency. 
Um, I, I had a problem with trying to uphold an image of pretending that I was something that I, 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 I wasn't and not that I was a bad individual, but I liked upholding or liked presenting myself in the view of other people to where they could think, oh, that kid's got it all together. Yeah. And the lack of transparency, uh, it, it hurt me in many ways because when you get around people that are real, they can see through that. They can tell, like, oh, you're putting on right now, you know? And so it was um, it was actually my now wife that that helped me in, in, in becoming more transparent. And, and she was a woman that she wasn't playing no games because I'm going to be honest with y'all. Before her, I, I had about three, four of them lined up, girlfriends. I mean, I, I had one over here, one over there, one, one somewhere else. And, and when I met her, it was she loved Jesus for one, but she also said, listen, I, I can love you or I can leave you. I don't need you. <laughs> I'm self-sufficient. And, uh, and that, that made me straighten up a lot. And, and then meeting her, I met her at church. Um, and actually my last semester of college at Georgia, I went on staff at Cornerstone Church as a college pastor. And, and that's where I met, met Ashley. And so we began to, to date and that was good. Um, and it was three months after we started officially dating that I went to her and said, Ash, I feel like the Lord is calling me to, to move to Kentucky to go to seminary. And it was a defining moment for our relationship because I expected I was expecting her to just kind of break down and be like, hey, you know, this ain't gonna work and we can't do the long distance thing or whatever. But what she told me was, if that's where God is calling you, you better go. And and in that moment is where I was like, yeah, I got the real one right here. Right. Like she's legit. She is legit. So I moved to Kentucky, and um, and it was a difficult transition for me because I didn't know anybody up there. I was literally, when I left, I packed up my truck and it was the middle of the winter. I went up there and started the semester in January. And there's a song playing on the radio. I think it's Chris Tomlin, but it just basically said, where, where you go, I'll go. Um, and, and for me, that was kind of the anthem because moved into a house with nine other guys in seminary, middle of winter in Kentucky, um, down here in Georgia where I'm at, you know, we get a little dust of snow or whatever and the grocery stores clear out and milk and bread and everybody freak out. But up there, they keep it rolling, you know, it ain't no thing. And so it was snowing all the time. And um, and it was just a hard transition for me because I'm just like, God, I'm just trying to follow your voice. And and I know that me following his voice all my life, it had never stirred me wrong. And, and I knew I was supposed to be there. And so got there and um, just my, I can remember my very first seminary class. It was an Old Testament survey class. Uh, with Dr. Gentry. Dr. Gentry was Canadian, uh, about 55 years old. And, you know, I'm thinking, man, this seminary, it's, it's the Bible. Like, it's going to be easy, you know? Like, okay, I know the Gospels, and I know, you know, I know how to preach. I know these things. The seminary is going to be a breeze. But he starts in the Old Testament, and, and he starts by saying, economics in the land of Canaan, part one. And I'm like, what? And then he just starts. And I'm like, okay, should I be writing this down? And so I just start writing stuff. And he's like, and y'all got a quiz tomorrow. Um, and it was like through stuff that I'd never even seen or heard in the Old Testament before. <laughs> and I'm like, this is going to be a long ride, man, because I got 92 hours 
which on average it takes guys three and a half to four years to finish just for a seminary degree and, yeah. and, 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 and um, so, yeah, man, grinded it out and um, ended up coaching at a small Christian college up there for a couple of years. So that was cool, but moved back to, um, to Athens, got married. So I finished my final May 8th, me and actually got married May 10th, started FCA June 1st, 2014. And uh, so that was cool to come back to Athens. Um, actually, it was Greensboro, which is a city outside or, or county outside of Athens. And um, yeah, did FCA for two and a half years there. And then got a call from Thomas Settles, the same guy who discipled me in college. And he said, hey, do you want to come back to Georgia and work for FCA with men's basketball? And I was like, absolutely. Um, because yeah. at the time, my wife was commuting from Greensboro to, to Oconee, uh, which was an hour one way, pregnant every single day. And it was just a lot on our family. So for him to ask us to come back, it was a definite done deal. So I'm currently still working with UGA men's basketball. Um, uh, coming off my my eighth season, two hey, different coaches. Tennessee fans, just look past that, okay? Anybody that's a Tennessee <laughs> fan, just ignore that part. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's dope, man. I, I love it. I enjoy it. Um, and so I came back to Athens for FCA. But God's got a funny way of doing things, sure. uh, and 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 His thoughts are above ours. His ways are above ours. And I got a call from one of my roommates in college. He said, "Hey, man, we need we need somebody to fill the pulpit this morning at our church. Can you come and preach for us?" I said, "Absolutely." What church is it? He said, "It's Life Church of Athens." And mind you, I spent four years in Athens in school, and never knew this church existed. But but it was a church. Uh, it was a church that was actually planted off of a church split and if you're in Southern Baptist or whatever, you know how them, them things work. Uh, <laughs> a lot of churches are formed off church splits. Right. But yeah, but I went and preached and, uh, and it went well. And two weeks later, the current pastor said, Hey, I need to have lunch with you. And uh, so I said, yeah, definitely. And the first thing he said was, what if you were to become the next pastor of black church? And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> like, I just came here to fill in. Like I'm, I got the FCA thing going, like, it's all good. You know, I'm just, I'm thinking in my head, I didn't say that, but I'm thinking like, what in the world? But the, the deal that I made with the Lord a long time ago was that my yes is on the table. Meaning, Lord, whatever you got coming my way, my yes is already there. We'll work out the details later because I don't even know them anyway. And whatever I try to plan probably ain't gonna go the way I think. So my yes is already out there. And so what I said was, I need to talk to my wife. <laughs> so I went, talked to my wife, and we basically said together that we'll keep walking until God tells us to stop. And four and a half years later, here I am, and he never told me to stop. Um, and so it was his gracious hand that has guided me through that. Now, I mentioned earlier that I came from a long line of pastors, but I also saw a lot of, a lot of mess and church hurt that was not very pretty. Um, my dad preached in predominantly black churches and deacon ran churches and they can vote you in and vote you out. My dad had been voted out of, I say voted, kicked out of four different churches from the time I was one to the time I was 18. Um, and he was labeled as the teaching preacher in a negative way that he was not entertaining enough, but he right. was preaching too much and, and they wanted an entertainer. And, uh, and so it, it, those things didn't work. And I was like, Lord, I ain't ever pastor a church. Like I'll do FCA, but I don't want to deal with that church because 
because it's it's just it's you got people's opinions and what they want and their expectations and all these things and and so I had a lot of fears um, whenever I first stepped into the pastorate and and one basic thing that I struggle with or was concerned about is that the church I'm a part of they 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 vote again the, the, the for the pastor and and so this church is a Southern Baptist church this church was all white in 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 Georgia and. And I'm, I'm telling my wife, I'm like, babe, they got to vote me in. I got to get a majority vote. And I'm not sure how that's going to go. Now, this is my own insecurity because I'm thinking like as a black dude pastoring a Southern Baptist church that's all white, I don't know that they're going to accept me. Now, that again, that's my own insecurities that I have. Right. So I was like, they're going to vote. We might get a slim majority. I don't know. But it turns out it was 100% unanimous, yes. Every person in that church said, we want him to be our pastor, which was incredible and opened my eyes up to so much, man. I just, again, God's sovereignty, how he works in his way and he accomplishes what he wills. And oftentimes we just got to get out of the way. And, and so that church, when I first got there, there was about 45 people total, kids all. We got about 250 now by God's grace and it's yeah, continuing amazing. to grow. Yeah, we, we purchased land in the neighboring county. Our goal is to build within the next three years and we got a game plan for a 30,000 square foot building. And um, and that's just kind of where we are with, with that um, as we sit. Like you mentioned earlier, working on a doctorate. I was doing some research a little earlier today and climbing that hill, but by God's grace, we'll complete that soon. But that's kind of just where I am at this point, man. But you know, I just, I don't know. I just want to be obedient. I just want to be found faithful. And, and there's no, you know, there's no formula for this. And even in my preaching, I just try to preach from my heart and say, listen, these are the scriptures. This is what God has spoken to us. There are real people in the Bible dealing with real stuff. And, and we need to learn how the Holy Spirit speaks to us to get through the things that we're dealing with. And, and life is going to happen. So many things. And I'll just give you the highlight reel of my life. But, you know, I don't I don't mention the fact that we lost two babies in 2020. Mm. You know, I don't I don't mention the fact that that my dad almost died from COVID. Like uh, the fact that I, when I got to Life Church from then to now, actually, my first year at Life Church, I did six funerals. And one of those funerals was my, my mother-in-law who committed suicide. Um, and, and there's so many things <laughs> that happen that will test you, um, and they'll test your faith, but that's why the Bible says we got to fight the good fight of faith. It is a fight. It is a fight, mm. but it's a good fight. And, and the only way that we make it is through the power of the Holy spirit. That's it. That's it. I don't care what you're doing. If you're pastoring, if you're working in corporate America, if you're a teacher, if you're a coach, if you're a business person, if you're retired does not matter. You need the power of the Holy Spirit to do what you do. So yeah, man, that's just kind of where, where we are today. So. so whenever you go through things like that, man, with your dad getting sick, losing two babies, mother-in-law, what do you cling to? You know, because I think so many people say, I understand you as a pastor telling me I need to, I need to trust the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. But I feel like the way we find that is in scripture. Mm -hmm. So in a time like that in your life, was there a scripture that you went to that you just held on to with all that you had? 
Yeah, man. There were actually several. Um, and I like I like looking at at passages. Um, and of course, I pick a, a scripture out of that. But there's a larger context within scripture for the most part when you're looking at the Gospels or the epistles or um, there's a context that's wrapped around it. And um, there's my gosh, man, there, there's so many. But I even just simply even look at Jesus and during his suffering when he's in the garden and just crying out saying, Lord, you know, I, I don't I don't know if I can do this. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Now, this is Jesus we're talking about. Right. Son of God, all power, sovereign king of the universe is saying, if there is a way for me to get out of this, I'll take it. But he comes to a nevertheless. And for me, in my hurt, in my pain and struggle, like I want to come to a nevertheless not my will, but your will be done. And, and there's an overarching narrative that is at play. And the truth of it is, I don't know all there is to know. I can't see the end from the beginning. I am not omnipresent or omniscient. I'm not Alpha and Omega, but God is. And he is the one that I serve. So for me to say, not my will, but yours be done, is literally to say, God, I take my hands off the wheel. Like I can't control anything that happened. I mean, the fact that, that we, we lost two babies and we weren't trying to, to get pregnant at all. We were done, done. And, and, and we got pregnant on the first one. Okay, well, God, here we go. Then we lose that baby in eight, uh, eight months, um, sorry, eight weeks. Happens again, lose that baby at 14 weeks. We're just like, God, what are you doing? But I have to get to that place of never listen to my will, but you'll be done. And then another text in Matthew 16 of, you see where God, brings his disciples to uh, Caesarea Philippi and he asks them, you know, who, who do men say that I am? And they go, well, some say John the Baptist, some say a prophet, some say Elijah, all these things. But then he asked them specifically, who do you say that I am? And for me, that's what hit me a lot in my struggle was who do I say that I am? Who has God been to me? It went back to what my mom and dad taught me when I was a kid. Who is God to you, Nolan? When you're struggling, when you're in difficulty, who is he to you? Well, he's been my savior. He's been my friend. He's been my Lord, my confidant. He's been every single one of those things. And, and, and all of us have to answer that question for ourselves. Who do you say that I am? Because grandma's faith ain't going to get it for you. Daddy's faith ain't, the preacher's faith ain't going to get it for you. Who do you say that he is? And then Peter rises up and says, you are, you are the son of the living God. And, and the fact that that was revealed to Peter was amazing because Jesus had not yet told him who he was. And he says, yeah, you got it, Peter. And on that revelation, I'm going to build my rock. Uh, on that revelation, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell can't prevail against it. But I also see Peter's flesh and my flesh at the same time in that story because then he goes on to say, you know what? And Jesus talks about how he's got to go suffer. And then Peter goes, no, you don't need to suffer. You don't need to go and die. You don't. We got a good thing going here, don't? And then, and then Jesus calls him Satan, and he says, "You're after things of the flesh. You're not after the things of God." And then he goes on to say that you got to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Because if you want to gain your life, you're going to lose it. But if you want to lose it, you're going to gain it. And so, the concept of who who is who is Jesus to me? The concept of denying myself when I look at Christ, how He comes to nevertheless. Man, those are things that I had to cleave to. I had to. Um, and, and, it, and it was a whole other challenge even in trying to encourage my wife through those difficult times because I'm grieving, I'm hurting, but she is too. So how do I deal with my own pain and the pain of my wife 
And, and, and that is where other people around me came into effect, the community that I had around me of other pastors, other friends, other people who had been through those things that really came in and helped comfort us in those times. And I mean, pastoring, man, it's, it's a difficult thing. It's, it's so, um, gosh, man, you, you gotta, you gotta crush the flesh on that one every day, because even in preaching, like, <laughs> like sometimes you feel like, man, I, I killed that sermon, you know, I crushed it. And, and like, nobody says a thing. And then sometimes you feel like I blew it. And somebody just comes up and says, that's the best sermon I ever heard. Right. But like, either way, it ain't about you, no matter how you feel. If you feel like you blew it or you feel like you won it. Either way, those two extremes are not healthy because it's about preaching the word. Like, preach it. Let it do what it does. It's not about me. Right. Um, and so, yeah, man, just a lot of a lot of things there. But, yeah, that's just some of the texts that I kind of run to. So That's good yeah. stuff, man. I. Yeah. I, I would have never known that you went through yeah. things like that. And I think that things like that, the fact that I would have never known that mm-hmm. or why it is so important for us to treat everybody the way we would want to be treated. Mm-hmm. It's easy for us to get mad at this person or that person for whatever they did. When in reality, only, only they and God know all yeah. hell could be breaking loose in their life. Mm-hmm. And we might be the only Jesus that they experience. And if, if we as Christians, if we as believers choose to let our flesh get in the way, man, it's like mm-hmm. not only are you hurting yourself, but you could be causing irreparable damage to somebody else. And so, yeah, man, killing yeah. the flesh on a daily basis is is so important. Man, mm. I, I really like what you said. Two things that you said. One really spoke to me is when you said you told God you made a promise years ago that you said, God, my mm-hmm. yes is on the table. Yeah. I think that's a bold statement to make. And I think that so many people are in a place, especially now where they just want to do this whole, just waiting on a word from God. I'm just Mm -hmm. waiting on God to move. When in reality, God is moving. And most of the time when they're saying they're waiting on God to move, it's because they know God is telling them something and they're just trying to avoid Mm -hmm. that being God telling them something. Man, it's so powerful. And I think that your life speaks to the fact that God moves in obedience Whatever you say, God, I'll go. Uh, yeah. I think that's super, yeah. super brave, super bold. Man, that speaks to me as somebody who I, I believe that I have a huge calling on my life. God has placed big dreams inside of me. And to be honest, they're, they terrify me um, mm-hmm. because I know that inside of myself, I'm not capable of it. Yeah, right. um, I can't build the kingdom that he desires to build, mm-hmm. but I'm honored to be a part of it. And I have to keep that in mind. And then the other thing, man, is accountability. Mm. That's something that growing up in the, in the Southern Baptist church, like I did, and clearly it sounds like you did too. True discipleship is something that I never experienced. Mm. Probably for me also until FCA Uh, and the right people getting involved in my life. Mm. You know, we, we can't just get people to the cross and leave them there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, it's, it's it, getting them to the cross is a good start, but leaving them there gets them. It doesn't get them the, the promises that God has for them, right? God has so mm-hmm. many things for us. All the promises of God are yes and amen. Yeah. And if we just simply leave people at the cross and never teach them how to live godly, according to the scriptures, man, 
bro. I, I think that's that is one of the most crucial things that I think the church is missing, not just now, but historically as well. Um, I think we you haven't seen much of that since the early church in Acts, to be honest with you, in terms of true discipleship, because what we do have is a bunch of babies running around. And you got folk who have been saved for 30, 40, 50 years, and they're still on Similac. They've not moved to, to the meat of the word yet. And, and it's, it's a detriment um, to the kingdom of God, to be honest with you, because it's, it's not the way that it's supposed to work. We're supposed to grow and mature in our faith. But you see such a disconnect because everybody wants to go to their corners. And what we want to see at our church and even at well, yes, with our church is, is generational ministry. But like, my question is like, where's, where's the older generation that that's supposed to be pouring into us. And then us, are we pouring into those that are coming behind us? Are we helping the saints mature in their faith? But the other thing that stands in the way of that is offense, bro. Like the fact that people get so offended when you do call them out in some immaturity, or if you are in a community and you say, hey, bro, like, you shouldn't be hanging out with your girlfriend that late because stuff's probably going to go down. And then they get offended with you or whatever. Like, I see it all the time. Right. And it really does stand in the way of development. But yes, we, we, there's a huge lack of spiritual maturity because of a lack of discipleship and accountability. And, and that's something that you got to be willing to open yourself up to, but it is to our, our benefit. And, and I think, man, one of the things that you just said that was very honest, but it is a struggle again for a lot of people to be honest with in transparency is the fact that, that you can say, and a lot of people honestly need to say that, you know what, I don't, I never, I never saw discipleship growing up. Like I, I had somebody that I knew that I made the talk to here and there, or I had a pastor or whatever, but I was never truly discipled. Like. It, that's a that's a very um, sobering moment, like to come to that you could say, you know what, I was never actually discipled, um, and 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 that's I, I think we need to be honest with that, so that we can actually begin to walk in it and know what it actually is, because um, that's what we're called and commanded to do, and you can't do it if you don't know what it is. Absolutely. So yeah, um, I mean, I, I think but, about yeah. Jesus, right, and so. I, I, I've told my wife, we read a book a couple of years ago called The Fivefold Ministry, where it talks about gifts of the gifts uh, inside the church being pro apostles and prophets, teachers. Mm -hmm. There's a couple more. I'm not going to, I'll forget them and I'll mess them up. But the idea of discipleship for me is in all of that. And I've told my wife, I believe that I have an apostolic anointing on me in that. Um, I believe that God is calling me to not only plant a church, but I believe that God is calling me to raise up, teach, and send out other believers. Um, but it's not enough for them to just sit under my ministry, hear me preach every Sunday. We have to be willing to take people in, take them under our wing, and truly teach them what being a man or a woman of God looks like. Um, because just hearing it on Sundays ain't going to help me when I get attacked on Thursday. Right. The enemy comes roaring. And so, you know, something that, I, that I've said, man, is something that I think is so cool that you're doing 
you know, being a black man, like you said, you got voted in 100% unanimously by a white Southern Baptist church. That is huge. Um, I believe that our generation, and I, I say it boldly, uh, I believe that our generation is going to be a generation that sees walls and barriers that have been in place for far too long be destroyed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm ready for, I'm ready to live what Paul said when he said, let there be no divisions among you. But, you know, just be together in unity. We, we don't have to worship the same. We ain't even got to be at the same building. We don't have to believe some little things exactly the same. But we can pursue the same God with the same fervency, regardless of location. Denomination should not matter. Jesus has to be the center. Yeah. And, man, I think, that, I think that we are primed to see something change if we will grasp onto discipleship. And so to hear you talk about Thomas Settles, I think is what you said his name was, kind of took you in, mentored you. I mean, look at at just what one phone call really did. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah. And that's a powerful story, man. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. You got anything else? Yeah. I mean, just, I mean, off of what you said, man, I mean, that's, that's spot on. Um, And, and I certainly have a heartbeat to see to see unity amongst the body of Christ. And that's truly what the fivefold ministry does, is, is it brings unity amongst the body of Christ. You've got five different positions there that God has established, but they all work in unison together. And um, but when I look at, at unity, you said it, it doesn't equal uniformity. We don't have to look the same. Right. You know, I, I love my wife, but I'm glad she ain't the same as me, you sure. know, like. And she she brings her her gifts. She brings her personality, and and it complements mine. And and we work together, unified. And and that's what the body of Christ can do. And that's one thing, man. I'm trying to do in our in our area because there's there's a lot of division. And I think it's just a snapshot of what's happening across the country, to be honest with you. Um, but but I'm trying to take our church, and and partner with other churches in our community that might not look like us. Um, we're a mixed church now, very diverse church now. Um, but man, we're doing stuff with missionary Baptist churches that are all black. We're trying to do stuff with Methodist churches. Um, you know, we're, we're doing, doing stuff with, um, there's um, Presbyterian churches that we're working with. And just to see the body of Christ come together is, is so important, it's so important. But, um, you know, with, with that being on the scale of, 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 uh, of the church world in terms of the body and a building or whatever, like folks that are listening here, you know, they might not be in vocational ministry. You might be saying, okay, so what does this mean to me on my job or where I am? And, and it's truly no different because you are an ambassador of Christ. <laughs> you represent the kingdom of God wherever you are. And so you, you are the church, like you, you carry the church where you go. But as an ambassador of the kingdom, guess what? You don't carry your own agenda. You carry the kingdom Mm. agenda, right? You carry what God has established and ordered and said, you don't carry your own. So that, that magnifies my actions times 1000, because I'm not just representing Nolan, I'm representing the kingdom of God. So what I say matters, how I act matters, how I treat my neighbor matters, how I treat that server or that dude that cut me off in traffic. All those things now matter because I'm an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. 
And so if that's, again, in a classroom, if that's in a boardroom, wherever you find yourself, you are a representative of the kingdom of God. And unity and diversity is displayed in the kingdom of God. It's displayed in scripture. And one of the things, so I'm doing my dissertation right now on how to pursue um, racial unity and oneness biblically. Because there are things out there that would say, hey, here's how we try to achieve unity, but they don't give valuable uh, Bible solutions that actually push us towards uh, true unity. It actually creates more disunity and it has an opposing effect than what it, it says it, it will actually do. And so the question is, well, how do we achieve it, man? We see the unrest. We see what's going on in the nation. We see what's going on in the world. We hear it. It's all over the place. So what are the solutions, you know? And ultimately, it is the gospel. Uh, it, it is the fact that God's artistry is displayed in his diversity. The fact that God created so many different things in so many ways, it speaks to his glory. And that's why you got to be you. Like, no matter what, be who God has created you to be. We don't need copycats of other people. I even struggle with this in preaching. Like, to be straight up with you, like, you got guys that you look at, you here you listen to you see guys that are you know they might be more flashy with their preaching or more illustrated with their preaching or more whatever and you easily go all right i need to pick that 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 and and you will be exhausted trying to be somebody else like you, you're running yourself in the ground be who god's created you to be and and that's enough that's good enough Absolutely. you know and, and and that's what we're after and that's when you're truly after making disciples, you're not going to say, all right, this needs to, to be uh, flashy or this needs to look, you know, attractive in the way that we do this because true discipleship is messy. It's messy because you're working with people. And, and if we ever forget the fact that we ourselves were a mess when Jesus found us and if somebody chose to, to walk with us, like we were that mess at one point and truly still are a mess. <laughs> I'm still a mess. But discipleship is messy and, and you got to be willing to get your hands dirty. But I just think about just thank God somebody was willing to walk with me and ultimately thank God that he sent his son to die for a wretch like me on a cross that I deserve. And, and, and that's what begins to open my eyes and say, you know what, Lord, like I got to get in the game. Like I got to do what you call me to do, but I got to be me while I'm doing it. The me that he's created me to be and and that'll be good enough. That'll be good enough. Yeah. I mean, that that's the importance of having different stories, right? I mean, that that mm -hmm. just goes with everything that I've always told people. Like uh, one of my best friends in the world grew up in church, you know, never did this, never did that. My testimony is a lot different, right? I, mm -hmm. I did a lot of things I shouldn't have done. I was, you know, into drugs and alcohol. I was wilding. Mm -hmm. I remember one time we were at a we were at an event probably six, seven years ago. And he said, Corey, I don't want to share my testimony. I said, why not? He said, cause I don't have as good, I don't have as good of a story as you do. I said, why don't you? Why is your story not just as powerful? Because you actually held on to faith, regardless of what came against you. You were able to stay true. You were able to do, you know, and I just gave him all this stuff. I was like, just because your story doesn't match mine, doesn't, doesn't rob your story of its power. Mm -hmm. yeah. Your story and the story that you just shared for yourself, that story touches people that my story can't touch. Mm -hmm. That, that, that's in essence the gospel, right? That is the great commission because you can reach people that I can't reach. And then we start having 
then we can start doing what old school Lecrae said, right? We can have disciples who then make disciples and we make disciples cycles, mm. right? And it, you, don't have, you don't have to have the same story as me. You don't have to have the same approach as me um, because your approach will reach who God wants it to reach. Yeah, so Absolutely. that's good, man. That's so man. good. God, God is good. God is doing some good stuff, man. That's, you have no idea how much it excites me for you to talk about doing stuff with different denominations and churches. And we can, we can talk about that later. Um, but that excites me beyond belief, man. So let, let's end this way. Where can people, where can people follow you? Friend requests, anything you want, you on social media, anything? Yeah, I'm, I'm on it. And uh, I mean, if, if they send me a message or whatever, I'll certainly respond. But yeah, I've got, uh, I'm trying to think of what it even is, but I know I'm on Instagram. I think at Nolan Wood with an E, you know, E-N Wood. Uh, I'm on Facebook, Nolan Wood again. Um, I got Twitter, but I don't really use it. Um, what about your church, yeah. man? Because I know you guys live stream, right? Yeah, man. Livechurchofathens.com. Um, Sundays at 10 a.m. Yeah, in any time. Anybody wants to lock in with us or to listen, it's recorded, so you can go back and watch it during the week. Right. I'm walking through the book of Psalms right now. I'll be preaching Psalms 22 uh, this weekend, and um, it's titled The Psalm of the Cross. That's what I titled it. And uh, we're going to clearly see Jesus in Psalms 22, uh, how he says what he says from the cross. But what David says, he actually writes 1,000 years before Christ is to be crucified and over 400 years before crucifixion and cross were ever even invented. So it's, it's such a direct scarlet thread from the cross of Calvary to Psalms 22, which are separated by a thousand years. So we're going to dig in that this weekend and um, yeah, work our way through Psalms, but that's kind of what we do. I'm an expositional preacher. So I like to go line by line break it down as, as best we can to squeeze everything we can out of it. And, uh, and every now and then it'll be topical, but, but I like to, to make it simple, just like I like to learn and understand is the way I like to preach and teach it. So, yeah. So check us out anytime live church of Athens. You can find us on Facebook too. So. That's awesome, man. Nolan, I appreciate it, man. Absolutely, bro. My honor. Thank you.